From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, On Health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, everybody. You know, as a midwife and a women's health doctor, I spend a lot of time thinking about and looking at and taking care of women's vaginas, and they never cease to amaze me. In fact, there's so many aspects of women's bodies that continue to astonish me and give me these aha moments. And one of those areas that just continues to yield new information, more science, and more fascination for me is the microbiome. And I am especially interested in the role of the vaginal microbiome and our health. Just recently, a girlfriend called me up and she was on holiday in another country and got some significant itching down there. And as I walked her through how to restore her vaginal microbiome health and the things that she could do acutely for what was ailing her at the moment, I remembered I had this podcast and I wanted to share it with you. So here is a reprisal of a topic that often goes undiscussed yet affects so many women throughout their lives. And that is vaginal infections and what we can do about it by supporting the health of our vaginal microbiome. I'm a vaginal ecologist. You might be going, say what? Has Dr. Aviva lost her mind? Yes, you heard that correctly. I'm a vaginal ecologist. You see, like your gut, skin, and many other parts of your body, your vagina has her very own unique microbial environment, the vaginal microbiome. And as with any ecosystem, ecology is the branch of science that deals with the relationship of organisms to one another and their environment. Your vagina has its own ecosystem that interacts with everything that's going on in your life around you and your life inside you. Your overall health affects the health of your vaginal ecology, and so does your environment, and your vaginal ecology in turn affects your overall health. You and your microbiome create your internal ecosystem and your external day-to-day world and your exposures influence this. As an important aside, I just want to get semantic for a minute here. I actually don't like the word vagina at all, not because I'm uncomfortable saying it, and I'm going to say it quite a few times in this episode, and I say it a lot for my work. It's because I don't like what it means. It comes from the Latin word that means a sheath, and because that just relegates a part of our bodies for one purpose and one purpose only... It's not a word that I like, and mine is not a place for someone to park his sword. I'm guessing you feel the same. So going forward, I'm going to use a word that might be new to you. It's yoni 
That's spelled Y-O-N-I. And it's the Sanskrit word which reflects a sacred view of women's genitalia. It's symbolized by an inverted triangle. I like to think of the yoni as a sacred place because I believe that how we think about our bodies influences the care that we take of ourselves. So you might say, I'm a yonicologist. So as we go forward, you're going to hear me using the words yoni and vagina interchangeably, kind of depending on where they seem more appropriate. But even when I say vagina, know that I'm saying it as an act of protest against the word meaning sheath and just reinterpreting it as an anatomical word that we're using. So why am I talking about vaginal ecology? Well, I talk about it a lot when I teach and in my courses and in my books, especially my textbook, Botanical Medicine for Women's Health. But this week, I got really triggered to hold the presses on everything else I was working on and do this podcast when a medical press release popped into my inbox. I get these because being a doc, I keep up with what's the latest in my field. So this was a press release announcing that the FDA approved a new pharmaceutical for the treatment of bacterial vaginosis, or BV. This drug, called Siconazole, or Solisec, which is going to be the trade name, is meant to increase compliance, meaning that a woman will be more likely to follow through on taking it because it's a one-dose treatment. Now, call me old-fashioned, but here's why I will not be prescribing this drug. For one, it was approved based on a total of only 333 women studied over two different studies. Number two, it can result in vaginal yeast infections that might be severe enough to also require medication treatment separately for those. Third, and most importantly, it is admittedly, as stated in the FDA press release that I got, a carcinogen that caused tumors in study mice. And it's unclear, they state in this press release, whether this risk in humans would result from chronic use or, they emphasize, even just a single use. Now, when I attended Yale Medical School, we had something called the Chase Rule of Three. It was actually communicated to me directly by the then dean of the medical school, Herbert Chase, who was a medical doctor and a PhD. Herb Chase's rule of three was never use a medication until it's on the market for at least three years because it's in something called post-market surveillance, that is, the observational studies that happen after a drug has been on the market and in use by not just 333 people, but by thousands or tens of thousands or millions, that we often start to see the ugly truths about its safety or lack thereof. Herb Chase's rule of three is a good rule in my book, because who wants to be the guinea pig for big pharma and find out in a few years that in fact a single dose did cause tumors or that it causes tumors in the next generation or worse? We're really not that far from the DES nightmare that caused cervical abnormalities and cancers in the daughters of women who took this drug and cancers in the sons of the women who took this drug as well. One would think the FDA would be more careful. Unfortunately, like so many government agencies, the pharma lobby influences government policies and decisions, including the FDA's. Drugs get fast-tracked all the time, and it's only after they've been on the market that we discover how serious some of the problems are. But when these new pharmaceuticals do hit the market, paid for medical journal articles, masquerading as science, make sure that your doctors are prescribing them. Add to this 
paid for television advertising, and you are turned into a consumer before you know it. And to be sure, the risks are minimized. After all, with this drug, 333 women took it safely. Isn't that reassuring? It shouldn't be. To me, it's terrifying. The companies behind these pharmaceuticals, as well as hundreds of products that line the feminine hygiene aisles of grocery and drugstores, know that millions of women are looking for ways to get rid of symptoms that range from embarrassing to debilitating, particularly vaginal odor, along with its common companion, vaginal discharge. To pharma, we are sitting ducks, representing to them really big bucks. There are quite a few common infections that can get our panties in a bunch, so to speak. Vaginal yeast infections are the one we're probably all the most familiar with and perhaps even comfortable talking about. I mean, yeah, we all talk about yeast infections. Oh, maybe not all of us, but you know, it's not that weird to go to your doctor and just say, I think I have a yeast infection or talk to a girlfriend about it. But there's another vaginal infection that's actually the culprit behind most of the vaginal odor that women are trying to cover up with douches, sprays, and scented products. It's called bacterial vaginosis, and it affects nearly a third of women in the U.S. It leads to that unpleasant fishy odor you may be familiar with if you've had it, as well as irritation, itching, and burning. And here's the thing, all of those over-the-counter douches, sprays, and treatments can actually just make it worse, and pharmaceuticals don't get to the root cause, which is disturbance in the natural balance of bacteria and other organisms that live in the vagina. There are quite a number of triggers that lead to changes in populations in one of the most important organisms living in the vagina, lactobacillus. Lactobacillus is a bacteria whose job it is is to keep the vaginal pH low by producing an acid called lactic acid, which in turn prevents less yoni-friendly yeasts, bacteria, and other organisms from getting a foothold and causing problems. Members of the lactobacillus family, and there are many species, also help to keep the vaginal wall healthy by promoting mucus production and maintaining a healthy barrier. It appears that we established a symbiotic relationship with these friendly organisms about 12 centuries ago when we introduced yogurt and other fermented dairy products into our diets. Interestingly, though, women's vaginal flora varies by a number of factors, including, for example, ethnicity. And some women have vaginal flora that don't have much lactobacillus in them at all. And they're certainly not in those women the dominant species. And they still have fully healthy vaginal environments without infection. So there's still a lot we're learning. And it means we need to not have a one-size-fits-all treatment plan, whether medically or naturally. And we might have to try slightly different approaches with different women when it comes to using probiotics and other treatments restoratively. Now, if you're choking on the word vagina in your brain every time I use it or scoffing at the word yoni, please take a minute and go say one of these words or both of these words out loud to yourself in the mirror 10 times fast. And I'm not entirely kidding when I say that. It's actually super important that we do get comfortable with our own down there's because there's a whole lot going on down there that we're not talking about and just living with like discharge, vaginal odor, itching, burning, and embarrassment, discomfort, and anxiety and using products to treat them like douches as a prime example 
that aggravate the problem and keep us dependent on these products. And if you're going to the doctor because the symptoms are bothersome or worrisome enough, then you may have also found yourself dependent on one round of antifungal or antibiotic after another. And antibiotic overuse has its own very significant risks, not in the least being more recurrent vaginal infections. The ecosystem of organisms that live in your yoni keep it and you healthy. In fact, when your yoni microflora is healthy, get this, your yoni is actually cleaner than your mouth, according to Sharon Hillier, who's a professor of obstetrics, gynecology, and reproductive sciences at the University of Pittsburgh. And she's an expert in the role of vaginal ecology in HIV prevention. Speaking of which, here are just a few of the many problems that can arise from disruptions in your yoni ecology and can result from bacterial vaginosis and other infections. Chronic antibiotic overuse I mentioned, and this is a major medical problem in and of itself. In fact, it's considered the leading global public health problem because chronic antibiotic overuse leads to something called antibiotic resistance. Chronic vaginal infections can lead to not only chronic pelvic pain, but pelvic inflammatory disease, which can lead to further problems like scarring in the fallopian tubes, leading to ectopic pregnancies, which can be life-threatening, and infertility. Chronic infections can lead to chronic inflammation, but also eventually some scarring and damage. If you do get pelvic inflammatory disease, that can lead to painful sex. You can get chronic urinary tract infections because when you have chronic vaginitis, those bacteria and organisms can actually migrate to the urinary tract, but also chronic irritation of the vaginal area and the vulva can lead to inflammation of the urethra and urethritis, which is a really painful condition that can lead to symptoms like a urinary tract infection. When you have chronic vaginal infection, it changes the vaginal mucus. As I mentioned, lactobacillus helps maintain that mucus barrier. So you can end up with chronic vaginal dryness. So sometimes vaginal dryness in perimenopause can be hormonal, but it can actually be due to disruptions in the microbiome. And not just perimenopausal women experience vaginal dryness. This is actually a problem that can affect women even in their 20s, 30s, and 40s long before perimenopause and can have a major impact on sexual health and pleasure but also vaginal dryness then leads to changes in the vaginal wall, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute, that then create a vicious cycle of making infections get more entrenched. You can end up with vaginal itching and irritation, which is uncomfortable and even can be embarrassing if you find yourself wiggling or scratching, as well as vaginal odor, which for some women can be significant enough that if you're a practitioner like me, you can notice it when you go into a public bathroom or a gym, for example. You can end up with chronic entrenched infections like yeast that just keeps coming back and coming back, other infections like Gardnerella, but you also become more susceptible to an overgrowth of something called group B strep, which for pregnant women can present a very serious problem if it's positive during labor because it can be passed on to the baby. And although the number of babies that contract it and get sick is very small, the number of babies that get very, very sick when they do contract it is significant. And because it's so significant, all women in labor, if they meet certain criteria, will end up getting an antibiotic during labor, which means mom and baby are getting antibiotics, which can affect mom's 
breast milk microbiome, her vaginal microflora, and lead to yeast infections after baby and thrush, but also means babies getting an in-labor dose of antibiotics, which can affect the baby's microbiome. As I mentioned earlier, it can lead to infertility and also preterm labor. If a woman does get pregnant, group B strep can lead to preterm labor, bacterial vaginosis can lead to preterm labor, and preterm labor has serious consequences if that baby's born too early, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute. HIV is massively increased in transmission in women who have bacterial vaginosis. And remember, this is one third of all women in the US and the rates are astronomical in other countries, particularly countries where there is marked poverty and malnutrition. What happens is several things. Trauma to the vaginal wall from irritation and inflammation, along with an overwhelming increase in overall non-beneficial vaginal bacteria make the vaginal tissue more receptive to the HIV virus. So most women, if you have sex with a male partner or partner with HIV, it takes anywhere from 100 to 1,000 acts of intercourse to transmit the organism. But if there is BV infection present, that rate is massively decreased. You become much more susceptible. So In fact, vaginal infections are a major global public health problem that increase women's risks of contracting HIV. The problem with bacterial vaginosis and other vaginal infections also is much worse for women with low socioeconomic means. And not only does this cause a major negative impact on quality of life, it can have serious health implications across generations. Preterm birth, for example, is significantly higher in the Black community, where BV is also much higher for a variety of reasons associated with socioeconomic status from diet to lifestyle and treatment being much less likely to be sought or available. Early preterm babies are much more likely to suffer with lifelong disabilities, creating emotional, social, and economic burden for often single moms, families, and communities. Helping women to have healthy vajayjays, figures super importantly and critically and frequently into my work as a women's health doctor. But as you can see from this list that I just described, how important it is not just for your pleasure and your overall health to have a healthy yoni, but for women's health globally. Now, when a woman tells me she's experiencing any of the symptoms of vaginal infection or conditions that may be related to vaginal infection, or she develops a vaginal infection and comes to me for treatment or I diagnose it, in addition to helping her in real time to naturally relieve uncomfortable symptoms, my job is to help her restore the health of her yoni ecology. In this episode, I'm going to share with you the steps that you can take to keep your vaginal ecology healthy or restore it if you do struggle with recurrent vaginal infections. It's really important to me that you have the knowledge you need to take back your health without relying on commercial products that strip your vaginal health even more and make you dependent on more products and without becoming dependent on more pharmaceuticals, some of which are not as safe or well-tested as we might like to believe and which also don't restore vaginal ecology health and therefore are just a temporary Band-Aid. I mean, they may be okay once in a blue moon. Certain medications have been on the market for decades and do have a generally good safety profile, but not when you're using them recurrently. And also 
When it comes to pregnancy, we're talking about a whole different story. Well, it's absolutely important to get appropriate treatment for vaginal infections because untreated, certain ones like BV or group E strep can lead to preterm labor and other problems. Even medications that were previously considered safe for oral and vaginal use during pregnancy, like some of the antifungals, have now come into question even for one dose. Right now, I want to help you get to the root causes of vaginal infections. So what's causing them? What are sort of the underlying factors that you can learn to recognize and turn around so that you can prevent these from ever being a problem? And if you do have these as a recurrent problem, get on top of these core or root causes so that you can naturally and easily take back your vaginal health. Now, anything that leads to a disruption in the flora in the yoni, or which causes actually disruption in the gut flora because gut flora plays a direct role in yoni flora, any of that can upset your vaginal ecology enough to lead to infection. And then ongoing disruption, so if you have ongoing vaginal infections, that's a sign right there that you have disruption in your yoni ecology and may also have disruption in your gut ecology. So let's talk about what these root causes are. The first one is use of medications and products that disrupt your microbiome, whether that's your gut or vaginal microbiome. This includes antibiotics, oral contraceptives or birth control pills, steroids, and antifungal medications, whether any of these are used orally or topically. They can disrupt your vaginal ecology and lead to infection. Even just one round of antibiotics, for example, for a urinary tract infection or a sinus infection has led many women into my office for their treatment of then ensuing recurrent vaginal yeast infections. And then the vaginal yeast infections have sometimes been concurrent or led to BV. Spermicides are another trigger, and these can be used independently. A lot of women might be using them if they're using a diaphragm, and they're also found in many condoms. And these negatively alter vaginal pH, making it more alkaline and making you more susceptible to vaginal infections, as do most of the vaginal lubes on the market. So if you're using a vaginal lube because you have dryness, the dryness may already be a sign that you have some yoni flora disruption. And then most vaginal lubricants are actually drying and therefore add more damage to the vaginal wall. And some of them have sugars in them. They have various types of sugars that are used to create either viscosity or form the product, which actually feed the organisms in the vagina. And on top of it, they change the pH unfavorably as well. These factors can all dramatically increase your risk of infection. Additionally, most sanitary products on the market contain residues of bleaches and other chemicals. Some of them have perfumes used in their manufacture, and all of these can act as irritants that increase the risk of infection. Interestingly, also some women who have had birth control devices like IUDs inserted report an increase in vaginal infection. So what can you do for prevention? Importantly is to avoid any unnecessary antibiotic use. 70% of all antibiotics in the United States are completely unnecessary. So you want to choose natural alternatives whenever possible. 
and avoid the pharmaceutical treatment of vaginal infections in favor of natural therapies whenever possible. Choose a natural condom and natural lube. Sustain is the company that I think is the best one on the market for these. And it's the one that I recommend in my practice. I'm so happy with the product in terms of the ethics behind the product and the values that go into making it as well as the contents that I actually serve as a medical advisor for them. And I really think they've done a great job. It is not a latex-free condom. So if you have a latex allergy, you just need to be aware of that. If you do have to use an antibiotic, make sure to take a probiotic that contains at least these three main groups, lactobacillus, bifidobacterium, and saccharomyces. And most that contain those groups will have the right strains in them. And take it along with the antibiotic, which is safe, and then continue it daily for up to three months after completing that antibiotic to protect and restore your gut and vaginal flora. For sanitary products, I really do recommend using organic or at least unbleached natural cotton pads or tampons. It is possible. It costs a little more. But, you know, how do you put a price on recurrent antibiotic use, recurrent antifungal use, going back to the doctor, living with this discomfort or possibly embarrassment? You can use other forms of products if you find the cost prohibitive. I spent 20 years, frankly, using uh, homemade cloth pads or purchased cloth pads. This was before you could actually purchase these nice ones that come on the market now. They're not that convenient. If you have to be out of the house, obviously, then you're having to carry your cotton pads in a sealable bag, but they can be used at home if you're home on the weekend and you don't want to use you know, more expensive organic disposables. Some women find a diva cup, uh, something they really enjoy using. Women with heavy flows often find that they have to wear a pad along with it. And they do add the added inconvenience that if you're in a public bathroom, you have to stick your finger in your vagina, fish it out, empty it out, go wash it out and reinsert it. So again, not always convenient, which brings us back to sort of the organic disposable, or at least the unbleached disposable cotton pads and tampons. It's really important to avoid all perfumed products, even natural ones, even if it's a nice recycled toilet paper. If it's perfumed, it is going to possibly cause irritation in those lovely sensitive lady parts. So nothing perfumed down there. And don't douche ever. Douching strips away all that good stuff that's supposed to be in your yoni. So even if you have an infection, don't douche, use oral or suppository treatments. So the next root cause is something called gut dysbiosis. Imbalances in your gut flora are called intestinal dysbiosis. And this can be a root cause of recurrent or chronic vaginal infections. And clearing up dysbiosis and rebalancing your gut flora can go a long way to preventing vaginal infections. And it's almost always a part of the treatment plan I use in my practice. So what can you do to keep your gut flora healthy? Well, make sure to include six to eight servings of fruits and vegetables, especially leafy greens in your diet daily for fiber. Regularly eat sweet potatoes, winter squashes, and legumes, if you tolerate them, which have a special resistant starch that feeds healthy gut flora, and include lacto-fermented or naturally pickled vegetables in your diet every day. If you tolerate fermented dairy products, interestingly, they can in fact be part of a yoni-healthy diet. And one of the leading 
gut mycobacteria researchers shared with me that his studies have shown him that women who do eat some good quality fermented dairy products in small amounts in their diet may have more favorable gut species. Remember, lactobacillus became part of our healthy vaginal flora protecting us. The theory is when we started including some of these lacto-fermented foods in our diet 10,000 or more years ago. If you do experience recurrent infections, and especially if you don't tolerate dairy or fermented dairy products, when I say fermented dairy products, I'm talking about unsweetened yogurt, unsweetened kefir, etc. It is advisable to get extra support by taking a probiotic. Look for one that contains at least lactobacillus ruteri and lactobacillus rhamnosus species. These are very friendly for vaginal health. There's also emerging research that's highlighting the potential importance of a species called lactobacillus crispatus for promoting healthy vaginal flora. So prediabetes and diabetes themselves are known risk factors for increased vaginal infection. So if I have a patient who comes to me and she's getting yeast infection after yeast infection, I will always check her blood sugar because it could be that it's happening because of diabetes. Particularly recurrent yeast infections are also something that would make you want to look for HIV because remember I mentioned there's an association, but HIV also makes your immune system go down and makes you more susceptible to candidal infections in general. But even if you're not diabetic, eating too much sugar on a regular basis or foods that act as sugar in your body when they're digested down and into their simple sugars, for example, alcohol is a huge trigger, or a diet high in refined carbohydrates can be really problematic. For some women with recurrent yeast infections, even overconsumption of fruits and naturally occurring sweets like honey or dates, which can insidiously slip into your smoothies or to a chai or green tea, can be enough to contribute to the problem. So what you can do for prevention is to eliminate added sugars in your diet. Eliminate all refined carbohydrates from your diet until you've been infection-free for at least six months. And if you don't eat those, but you're still getting a lot of sugar in your diet from fruits or honey or maple syrup, reduce those as well. Emphasize keeping your blood sugar really steady, which we do in the 28-Day Gut Reset, and I teach you how to do in detail in the Adrenal Thyroid Revolution. All right, so the next root cause is nutritional insufficiencies. So what you want to do is take your V vitamins. Healthy mucosal tissue, which is the kind that lines your mouth, your intestines, and yep, your yoni too, requires not just good fiber and probiotics in your food, but certain specific nutrients, especially zinc, vitamin A, vitamin E, and vitamin C, which all help nourish and protect that vaginal mucosa. But too many of us are not getting enough of these in our diet. You'd be shocked, but something like 16 million Americans are deficient in vitamin C. And women are especially known to be deficient in multiple nutrients. So eating good quality protein, nuts, and seeds, and plenty of fresh veggies and fruits every day is indispensable for vaginal health. But deficiencies in these, which are so common in women, and in other nutrients as well that you might be deficient in can really set you up for trouble. So what you can do for prevention is, in addition to making sure that you're getting the most from your diet by really eating a diet that's just high nutritional quality value and not skipping meals to keep your blood sugar steady, 
is take a multivitamin because that does provide some extra health insurance. And if you're particularly susceptible to recurrent infections, it's all the more important. You can learn some more about the multivitamins that I use in my practice by heading over to the link for my replenish formulary, which I've listed below the podcast. It's totally free to go there and set up an account and you don't have to purchase anything. You can just look and see what some of the practitioner level supplements I use are in my practice. And I do make those supplements available at a discount. So if you set up an account, you can use that account if it's convenient for you. Or you can choose any of the food-based multivitamins that are available at most natural food stores. When it comes to herbal supplements, selecting them requires a little bit more care. But when it comes to basic multivitamins, most of them are going to have in them what they say they have in them. And you can pretty much rest assured that as long as you're getting a good quality, more naturally based company product, you're getting a decent product. So the Whole Foods label, and they have a Whole Foods 365 label, but any multi on the market like that would be fair game. Rainbow Light, there are many of them that are really good. So make sure you're getting a daily multi along with your daily probiotic, good diet, balancing your blood sugar, and avoiding chemical and pharmaceutical triggers. The next root cause is sex and sexual partners. So here are just some basic facts, especially about BV. Multiple sexual partners, new sexual partners, frequent sex, chemically laden condoms, unhealthy vaginal lubes, and then oral contraceptives, diaphragms if you're leaving them in too long, possibly IUDs for some women, can individually or collectively disrupt your vaginal flora and your vaginal pH increasing your susceptibility to vaginal infections, again, especially BV. So obviously, we're not going to stop having sex, although during treatment for some of these things, you might have to. But what you can do for prevention, here's sort of the bottom lines. How many sexual partners anyone chooses to have is absolutely a personal preference. But whatever you choose, one or several, protection is critical. So condoms, condoms, condoms. And as I mentioned earlier, Sustain is the brand that I recommend. Ditto for their lube. If you do get infections with sex, particularly BV, so if this is a common thing that's happening, it could actually be something your partner is harboring because men can carry bacteria in that penis of theirs that you pick up during sex. But the thing is, he may be completely asymptomatic. So if you're getting these ping pong infections, you're having sex, they're coming back or they're never quite going away he might need treatment as well. Oral sex can change your vaginal pH dramatically because saliva and vaginal pH are very different. And also different people have different qualities of health to their oral flora. So you can also be getting some introduction of bacteria or organisms that disrupt your vaginal flora. So you want to think about that. If you keep getting vaginal infections after oral sex, there may be some adjustments you need to make in your use of a probiotic. You can use a probiotic vaginally in between days or, you know, the next day or that day afterward to sort of restore your vaginal flora. And that's the same with if you're getting BV or other vaginal infections after non-oral sex. Hormonal changes are a big trigger for infections. Menstruation, pregnancy, and changes that occur in the perimenopause and with menopause can all lead to changes in vaginal pH, 
which in turn reduce lactobacillus and allows for the overgrowth of yeast, BV, and other organisms. Yeast infections are especially common around our periods and also during pregnancy, when not only are the hormones changed, but during pregnancy, the blood sugar is higher, or around our periods, we may be eating more sugar because we're just wanting it. And then during pregnancy, we may also be eating a lot more carbs, and that's feeding yeast directly. During menopause, the drop in estrogen and progesterone appears to change vaginal pH in a way that actually encourages the growth of BV particularly. And along with the increased tenderness, if there's vaginal dryness and vulnerability of the tissue, that creates an environment for BV infections to take hold. So what can you do? Hormonal balance is a little bit more complicated, a conversation that we're going to get into in this episode. It's important to be especially mindful of vaginal health and all of the factors that can disrupt your vaginal ecology during times when you are going through major hormonal shifts. So for example, it's wise to take a probiotic during your period or before your period if you commonly get a yeast infection during that time. Similarly, I actually put most pregnant women on probiotics these days routinely because there are so many benefits for mom and baby. And then during perimenopause, it can make a huge difference. Additionally, avoiding high blood sugar and the common triggers that we've talked about is also especially beneficial. And even if you're menopausal, you're not having your period anymore and there's no risk of getting pregnant or extremely low risk, using a condom during male-female sex in menopause when the pH of the sperm and the reduced estrogen in your vagina can make you more susceptible to BV is a totally reasonable approach. And besides that, just because you can't get pregnant doesn't mean you can't get sexually transmitted infections like HIV. So even if you're not having a period, condoms are still advisable, particularly with new partners. All right. Last but not least is something I call the thong effect. It always makes me laugh because I was in the car with my mom's first cousin many, many years. This is like 25 years ago. And I'm riding in the back seat with my kids. And my cousin is just this say anything kind of woman. She's brilliant. And she is just sort of balls to the walls or ovaries to the walls, if you will. And all of a sudden she said, hey, Viva, what do you think about butt floss? And I said, what? What is butt floss? And she said, you know, thongs, which of course, definitely I had some opinions on being a midwife. Yeah, of course they're sexy, but anything that causes migration of bacteria or other organisms from your rectum to your yoni can cause infection. So it's not just thongs, but thongs are definitely a culprit. It includes wiping from back to front after a bowel movement. You're only ever supposed to wipe from front to back. And same part vaginal contact after or during anal sex. So think fingers, penis, toys, if they've had anal contact and then they have vaginal contact, that's a no-no because that's a big vector for infection. So what can you do for prevention? Always wipe from front to back when you poop and please teach your girls to do this. You'd be amazed at how many women I see who don't know that there actually is a proper way to wipe. If you have anal sex, make sure there's no same part or same toy, vaginal contact, and ditch the thongs. They're not our best friends. For a seamless look, you can wear seamless underwear or boy shorts. I promise that works too. Also, always make sure that your undies have a breathable cotton crotch. And then during your period, change your pad or your tampon often to cut down on irritation. All right. 
I've probably said the word vagina more times in this one podcast than you may have ever heard in your life. And now you have a whole new word that you can teach to your daughters. My daughters were like, mom, really, do you have to say yoni? Can't you just call it vagina? But I really do believe that changing the way we think about our bodies, changing the language that we use, some of which is very unwoman friendly without our even knowing it is a powerful way to become our best advocate. So I will end by saying, please become your Yoni's best advocate. As one researcher is quoted in saying in an article that was published in the Atlantic magazine about BV called the superhero in your vagina, there's no advocacy group for keeping our vaginas healthy. My hope is that this episode has helped you feel more confident, a little bit of a warrior for becoming an advocate for your own. As I mentioned, this isn't just a problem for us individually. It is a global problem. It's a social problem for women who are struggling in communities that don't have resources. And us all collectively being advocates for our yonis is going to make a difference for all women everywhere. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time.